0: Welcome to Writers on the Beach, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed and prolific writer Frank Zafiro steps into the interrogation room just to try to get his story straight. Frank primarily writes gritty crime fiction, but does so from both sides of the badge. He served in the U.S. Army from 86 to 91 in military intelligence as a Czechoslovak linguist. Those are hard to come by these days. In 93, he became a police officer in Spokane, Washington, did 20 years and one day in that role, and retired as a captain in 2013. During that time, he worked in patrol, worked in investigations as a detective, and then became a sergeant, began working up through the police leadership. From 2013 to 17, he taught law enforcement subject matter courses at a community college and at the university level, and taught leadership courses as a national instructor for a prominent police institution. His crime series, which includes the River City series, which is an ensemble cast of police officers, and his Spoke Compton series, a rotating cast of criminals, tell the authentic story of cops and criminals from each of their perspectives. Frank, welcome to Raiders on the Beat. It's such a such an honor, such a pleasure to have you here, sir.
1: Oh, thanks for having me I appreciate it
0: for readers and fans who are unfamiliar with your work can you give us a little bit of your background and your writing and why people should uh, should get to know you and become a fan uh,
1: sure uh, I, I expect that's probably most readers <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I write under uh, the pen name of Frank Zafiro for for crime fiction um, and I published over 30 uh, crime fiction novels. Um, I, I would describe them as a whole, I guess, with the, the tagline that uh, I write gritty crime fiction from both sides of the badge. Uh, the reason I guess I can write from both sides of the badge is I was a police officer for, for 20 years and a day. And uh, I retired in 2013. Uh, but I don't just write you know, police centric crime fiction. I write some hard-boiled and some noir type uh, stuff from criminal standpoint uh, as well. Uh, and then some stuff maybe that'd be harder to classify as to which, to which it is. Um, and, and a lot of the books that I've written are part of one series or another. Uh, for instance, my River City series is kind of my flagship series. That's a police procedural series with an ensemble cast that focuses on the police officers as, as the, uh, putative good guys, but they're not perfect. And they're not, uh, they don't always succeed or at least not completely. And, and certainly never without a cost. Um, and then on the flip side of that, I have the uh, Spoke Compton series, uh, which is, uh, all about people on the other side of that badge, the criminals, and they're, they're the focus of it. Uh, and then everything in between, uh, private investigation series, uh, the Coprito mysteries, uh, uh, mysteries and the Jack McRae Mysteries. And uh, my Anya series is kind of your hard boiled sort of series. Uh, and, and even an assassination hitman series with <laughs> Eric Bietner called the uh, uh, Bricks and Cam Jobs uh, series uh, with a pair of, of hit, hit uh, hitman and a hit woman that, uh, that we wrote a trilogy of. So, it, you know, I, I always tell people, you know unless you're a cozy reader, in which case I have some suggestions to make. Uh, but unless you're a cozy uh, reader, I've, I've pretty much got you covered for your style of, of crime fiction that you like. Um, and that's kind of fun because you can bounce around and write different things and it doesn't become stale that way.
0: Yeah, and I, I really appreciate as a, as a reader, um, there's a tremendous difference in going through a book when the author has actually been in the position or a similar position of what their characters, the protagonists or the the, uh, the villains have been in. And there's a, such a difference in reading through those books and and sensing that personal experience. I think it makes a, a, a much better experience for the reader and, and it adds so much authenticity to what you're actually doing. And, and you can't fake it very well. I mean, you can do all the research
1: in the world and And you can get the facts right. And of course, I would always urge people to do that. You know, you don't want to be factually incorrect. I mean, uh, nothing takes somebody out of a story faster than something, you know, some glaringly obvious error. Uh, But the difference, I think, sometimes between uh, people who have been in a position that they're writing about, and those who haven't, is more in the smaller nuances and the smaller details. And and even just the way things are presented and the way people talk, you know, maybe you get the slang right as, as someone who hasn't done that, but it, but you're not quite using it hundred percent accurately, you know? So yeah, you, the code is correct, but it's not how they would maybe say it or the order they would mm-hmm. say it in or whatever, just small things like that. Um, that people might not even realize they're, they're sensing or, or, or perceiving that. It really can make the difference and, and authenticity when it comes to the police procedurals in particular is something that people comment a lot and uh, you know in reviews or when they get back to me or, or, or whatever on on some of these books and and that's always good to hear uh especially when it comes from other cops i mean i had a yeah. re- review recently for the first book in that river city series where you know a guy said it was a tough read for him because he's retired law enforcement but it also uh you know took him down memory lane and that mm. it was the most accurate depiction of, of the real police work that he's ever read. I mean, when an expert says that, that's, that feels yeah. good. It knows you hit the right notes, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, being able to, to be true to, um, someone with similar, similar experience and expertise and also provide a, a reader experience because, you know, most of the job, it's like 98% mundane and routine and 2% terror. And, uh, you know, occasionally you, you bridge the gap of those two things, but um, you know, trying to to equate that into a police procedure that keeps people turning the page uh, is is really a difficult thing to do. And I, I think that that's that's something that uh, that good cops and good cop writers tend to do well. Yeah,
1: because if you just wrote a depiction of what really happened, there'd be, as you said, <laughs> there'd be so many long stretches of nothing the stakeout. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. People would be bored as could be. I mean, there's a reason why movies use montages and and short little clips to pass that time. I mean, you know, it's just, it would be boring. That's the trick, right? Figuring out what's, which details and processes are interesting enough to show uh, and highlight a little more fully and which things you can gloss over and and people get the idea and they don't feel like they missed out on anything.
0: With, with your writing experience and, Having put out so much work, uh, when did you know that you wanted to write fiction, and when did you actually write something someone else wanted to read? Um,
1: I knew from a very young age, you know, I, I, I've always said 10 is, is probably a good, yeah. you know, uh, I can remember thinking of things that way as a 10-year- old. Certainly, I was already writing very derivative, very short stories by 13 um and I think my first short story that I was actually paid for was in eight, 89 so I would have been 21 at the time um and mostly I wrote you know action stuff and sci-fi and fantasy because that's what I was reading growing up yeah. um after I got out of the service and became a police officer uh, I kind of took a hiatus from writing fiction for a while simply because I was learning a new job. uh, And then within that job, I was learning a new position Um, every couple of years. I mean, I became a training officer. I got promoted to corporal. I got promoted to detective. I was promoted to sergeant. I moved from this sergeant position to that sergeant position. I mean, and so every couple of years, I was having to learn a, a completely new position. And that was pretty time consuming. And I went back to college at the same time. I was going full time from 96 to 98 to get my degree in history. And so I just literally, you know, I was writing a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. police reports and, and, and of course, papers for school, but I wasn't doing any fiction. And when I finally got into a place in my career that was a little more settled, I was in the same job for about three years. And it was a day, a day tour, an office job, you know, I was, I was an inside cat for a few years, I guess, Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which cops will know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, I, I ran into a, a guy, I met a guy that, that through a, a mutual friend who was also on the job who was also kind of getting back into writing and, and we uh, teamed up and, and started to encourage each other and stuff and uh, uh, his name is Colin Conway, one of my writing partners and uh, what came out then was crime fiction because that's what I was living so I mean that's really where that that started um, about 2004 with short stories and then ultimately the first book was published in two thousand and six.
0: With you talked earlier about uh, your uh, your characters and writing from both sides of the badge, and that's one of the other things that I think really sets uh, sets writers apart who have experience as either cops or criminals um, is that their protagonists, the 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 villains, uh, the dark agents. Um, tend to be more fully formed three-dimensional people. And I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, at least from my own experience, you know, you get into cop work and it doesn't take more than a few minutes to realize that, you know, most of the people you're dealing with are desperate folks making desperate decisions and not inherently bad people. I've only run into a couple folks that I would say were actually evil, mm -hmm. but beyond that, a lot of those things are circumstantially driven, but that doesn't always translate into into crime fiction. I think that's one of the things we tend to do better.
1: Yeah, I think that it's exactly the opposite in a lot of crime fiction, It's mm-hmm. because it's easier to create a villain who's, you know, uh, you know one dimensionally evil. It doesn't take as much work. Yeah. Uh, but my experience was exactly the same as yours. I think uh, the way you describe that is is bang on. They are they're desperate people uh, making desperate decisions. Uh, because they're in desperate situations, and uh, frequently they're making that decision because they have responsibilities to others too. Uh, sure, there are career criminals out there that they just—that's the life they learned, and that's the life they're trapped in, and 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 you know, and everything. But uh, the vast majority uh, fall into that category that you just described. And so, if you look at it that way, and you kind of explore, well, why is this situation desperate? Well, what would I do in that scenario? What could you know what? you know you humanize them you do you have a much more fleshed out much more real villain and i like the gray characters anyway i mean i i, I like the cops to have a little bit of gray in them yeah. i don't i don't write dudley do right not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with dudley and uh and and i think the same is true with your with your villains i think uh because honestly no one's the villain in their own story i mean very few people anyway yeah uh, they all have reasons why they're the hero of their own story. And yeah. and if you can find those reasons that they would cite, then then you can really humanize them. And you're right. That makes for a much better story, a much more satisfying read. And when you overcome a villain like that, um, I think it's, it's more satisfying as well.
0: Yeah. I think the, on the kind of the flip side of that coin, um, I'm probably tend to also be a lot more, uh, a lot more sympathetic to to my cops um, than than somebody who who hasn't you know walked a beat. Um, and you know one of the things that uh, that that I struggle with as uh, as a writer and on my crime series is keeping the cops three-dimensional and flawed without feeling like I'm in some way eroding public confidence in yeah. you know, in the institution. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, that is a great observation. And and it's, it's actually uh, sometimes when I do interviews uh, like this or, or uh, even written ones, you know, for blog uh, guest blogs or whatever. uh, Occasionally someone will say, what's one question that you wish, wish someone would ask that they never do. And they almost never do ask exactly that what you're bringing up here, that question of, Hey, you were a cop. You obviously don't hate cops so why are you writing stories where uh, there's a bad cop or there's a former cop who is now a criminal or this cop is being racist or a jerk or or, or is corrupt you know why, how do you rectify the two um, and nobody ever asks about that you know but I, I, I feel the same way as you do about it I think that to write honestly, you know, you, I mean, we're writing fiction, so obviously we're blowing things up and out of proportion entirely, but you have to write honestly about things and, and cops are human. And, and I think that gets lost all across the spectrum. It gets lost in terms of flaws. Mm -hmm. Uh, It gets lost in terms of, you know, there are going to be a few bad cops out there. It's a very, very small percentage. I don't think people have a, a, a realistic view of the vetting process at all uh, I think they'd be shocked if they saw how hard it was to get on the job in most places. But yeah. there are still going to be people who slip through who are legitimately mm-hmm. bad people. That, you know, that that small percentage exists, but uh, but we never see that whole spectrum of the human, and and conversely, we don't always see the cop as a human being. People see the badge, they see the uniform, mm-hmm. they see the symbol, they don't see the person, and and. Cops have their own form of blue blindness. They do that with criminals sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and actually, you know, since I've retired and especially over the last several years with a lot of what's been going on in our society, these are the kind of questions that and and thoughts that have been bouncing around in my head. This, uh, you know, why, uh, why can't we see these things because having been a cop, Mm -hmm. I see the things that cops see and, and, and yet having been away from it now for eight years uh, and having had the advantage during that time period, I traveled and taught uh, police leadership uh, all over the US and Canada. So I got the opportunity to interact with cops um, and civilians in law enforcement who were uh, not you know, part of my own organization. So I, you know, I got a wider view of it. And then being away from the job and seeing it more with civilian eyes, I, could, I feel like I see both sides of, of, of the discussion, which is really more of an argument these days, yeah. Um, but nobody listens to each other. They just scream yeah. and make their, their cute little uh, uh, sound bites. Yeah. yeah. Sound bites. It's all war of mm-hmm. sound bites and nobody's listening to each other. And I don't let the cops off the hook. We make, and you know, I still say we after
0: eight years, so you know. but <laughs> we'll never we, quit. Yeah, We,
1: we <laughs> don't do ourselves any favors yeah. a lot of times but the flip side is also true we get hammered with some things that aren't necessarily fair as well and and so that's been something that's really been on my mind a lot over the past few years is that disparity and that conflict
0: yeah and in in my crime series i've got um, one character in particular that's um, it's, it's a, a long arc in that series that he is a he is a corrupt cop he's on the taken um, my have, working down here in Arizona, um, everyone, uh, have you ever heard of the, the six degrees of, uh, of Kevin Bacon? Sure. Okay. So down here, um, it's more like the six degrees of the drug trafficking cartels. And you know, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to get more than, you know, a few degrees away from someone who's somehow affiliated with, with a lot of the, the trafficking issues that go on down here. Um, and, and, uh, in the time that I worked trafficking in narcotics, we ran into a couple guys that didn't need to be cops anymore for a couple reasons. But one of the things that I'm uh, using to write this character is a three dimensional corrupt guy who needs to be dealt with um, is looking at how that actually happens. And you know, it's just like in a lot of other things; it's it's baby steps. You know, of and no one you know starts. Uh, goes through the academy, just frothing at the mouth for that first payoff check. You know, <laughs> you know the the cartel comes calling. And um, I think in allowing the public through fiction to see a little bit of that realistic influence may actually help the five people who read my books <laughs> understand. You know, the uh, the the corrupt cop issue. But yeah, well, it's, that is it's that a tough is thing. Ad-
1: well, that is absolutely, I mean, what you're talking about is I think anyway, is, is noble cause corruption is what they call mm-hmm. it, right? That's the academic phrase for it. And it's actually kind of the theme ended up being the theme of the Charlie 316 series that uh, the four book arc that, that, that I wrote with Colin Conway. And, and that happens exactly as you said, you know, little you know, shaving the edge off of this policy Little tweaks Mm -hmm. to the truth, like the order of events, but they both happen all towards the end of doing the right thing. This child molester needs to go to prison. So if I have to say that you know I read him his rights here instead of here, then I Mm -hmm. will, because it certain you know the, the the ends justify the means, blah blah blah, and 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 some people are able to do that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but they're they're able to do that at a very low level that still serves justice for their entire career. Now, technically it is wrong, I guess I mm-hmm. shouldn't, but, but it, it, as a, as a level of corruption, it, it still serves at least their, their view of what justice is. Unfortunately in some of the higher profile cases that I'm sure you're familiar with being in the field uh, you know, you get Rampart, you get Chicago SOS, you get, you know, these kinds of things that, you know, you go from, uh, you know, planning evidence to now you're kicking doors on drug houses and, mm-hmm. and ripping off drug dealers and, and 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 how did you get there? Well, it always started with, like you said, with a baby step, and and probably for the first several steps was not intentional, mm-hmm. uh, other than to do the right thing and help facilitate that. Um, but you know, you know as well as I do, how how many cops succumb to that? It's again, I. Hugely small,
0: infinitesimally small. Out of you know, over over a career, I think it's you know, not having worked for a major agency, I still would say I can easily estimate that I worked with a couple thousand cops on different task force on you know, different uh, different occasions, and I know of. Literal couple that shouldn't have had a badge, and ended up losing it. Thankfully, but that's.
1: Infantile. Unfortunately, they do the damage they do on the way out the door. Yeah, and then you and I and the rest of the profession are stained with that, and that's Mm -hmm. where that's where the public relationship gets damaged, and that's you know that's the problem.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's uh, it's a, a definitely a really tough time for for the guys that are still pushing bumpers around. And I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that things are going to turn around before long and, and uh, we get some, some good folks, more good folks uh, back in the, on the streets again, they're missed.
1: Well, and hopefully we do better as a profession uh, as, as going forward too, because, you know, we, we, we've had certain, you know, generate generationally, we've had certain concepts uh, push towards us as as police officers that, I mean, we wholeheartedly I- embraced, I imagine, that maybe aren't the right way to approach the job. You know, I mean, uh, I, I used to wholeheartedly endorse the whole sheepdog mentality, you know, mm-hmm. I'll protect the sheep from the wolves. And, you know, I'm a warrior and everything. And, and I'm certainly not saying that a police officer doesn't have to be a warrior. At times you do, if you can't be a warrior sometime. If you don't have that in you, you can't do that job effectively. And in fact, you'll probably get hurt or get someone hurt over the course of your career if you don't have that gear, but to be stuck in that gear constantly has its drawbacks. Yeah. And even just using the sheepdog analogy, um, talk to some civilians and find out how insulting that is. You know, and I never thought of yes. that idea yeah. until somebody mentioned it to me and they're like, I'm a sheep. You're calling me a sheep. And like, well, you know, it's just an analogy. Well, it's a stupid analogy and here's why it's like, well, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. So then what, you know, how, do, so how do you go forward with that community connection and yet still, you know, I mean the, 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 soldier still has to be able to use the sword at times, you know, as well. And so yeah. it's a, it's a tough blending uh, of, of, concepts to best serve the public and best be able to serve the public without going over a line to where now you're you know an armed occupier uh, you know yeah that's, that's not how you want it to feel no, you
0: know? no and i i think when um when i was working in uh, as a as a training officer and then in our, our training department um as a defensive tactics instructor one of the things that across that, I I tried to relay uh, specifically address that, that issue Um, is I really wanted our guys and gals to view themselves as servant guardian warriors. And the majority of the job is quality of life issues. And occasionally Mm -hmm. you run into bad guys who need to be dealt with. And occasionally you have to pull the sword out of the sheath, but those three things are so disparate from each other um, in skill set, and also in frequency. And the majority of the job, I think, is is really serving the public and each other. And occasionally, you have to be a protector and guardian. And in a very rare circumstance, you actually have to be able to be a warrior. And to find people who are equally capable in all three of those mindsets is a tremendous undertaking. And it's, it's, it's a
1: very small percentage of the population yeah. that has that uh, skill set, the ability yeah. to, to, to do all that. I really like the order that you put them in because I, I agree with you. I think that's exactly the frequency order that they fall in. Those are the three gears that you need and, and, and in, in the right order. Um, but you need all three. You absolutely yeah. need all three. If you don't have any one of them there are some pretty terrible pitfalls mm-hmm. that you can you can encounter failures that will occur that uh, uh, will impact you or the people that you're you're serving or serving with and so that's a great that's a great uh, a great approach i'm glad to hear that
0: and i i think you know from a, a character development standpoint for the folks who are listening <laughs> because it is so difficult um, to find folks who can be all three of those things um, you know, I, I worked with cops who were absolute just complete and total servants that they did a fantastic job in certain roles, but I would never have wanted them to be the first one following me into a foot pursuit. Um, and I also worked with guys who were, you know, uh, 100% warrior mentality all the time and you know, really viewed criminals as an enemy rather than, you know, a neighbor. Um, and you know so, those those characters do exist, and I do think that they uh, they they work well in uh, in books because it's part of the human experience. Mm, absolutely. Now, from your your writing, I understand that uh, there's a, a, a current work in progress called the Write Along that is uh, going to be coming out this year uh, for uh, readers and fans. What would you like them to know about? about this book and, and, uh, when they might be able to track it down.
1: Well, I'm still, uh, it's still a work in progress. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm targeting 2021. Uh, I always like to get things out before the Thanksgiving, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, bump there. So, uh, you know, that's my goal. Um, but I am focused more on getting it right and getting it done soon. Um, it's a, it's a book, um, it's, had, it's been an interesting journey. This book, uh, initially it was going to be a short story. Uh, and I just wanted to show, uh, harking back to the earlier conversation that we had people, two people who had a very different experience in their lives, very different views of policing, uh, coming together, uh, airing out their, their disparate beliefs and maybe learning a little bit from each other. And actually, because they listen to each other. Uh, And this would occur in the setting of a ride-along. And for people who aren't familiar, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, Someone who's not a cop uh, rides around for a shift or part of a shift in a patrol car with a cop. And most agencies have this kind of a program in place for the community, um, you know, to varying degrees of accessibility depending on the agency. Uh, I had many ride-alongs in my patrol career. Um, and they come from all kinds of different places. You know, sometimes it's just, uh, sometimes it's a relative, you know, I mean, my wife wrote along with me. Um, sometimes it's a community member who's supportive, who just wants to know what the real deal is and get an eyeful. Uh, sometimes it's a prospective employee, somebody who thinks they might want to be a cop or might want to be a cop where you're at lateral in or something. And they want to ride, uh, sometimes it's a a newspaper or, or other person doing research, Uh, And occasionally it's somebody from an advocacy group that's not very pro-police and they're looking to get the real deal too. They want to get a bird's eye upfront, unfiltered view of what goes on. And that's the setting that that I have for this book because it it very quickly realized that I couldn't do it justice with a short story or even a a novella. There just was too much ground to cover such a complex topic. And so in this book, uh, a p- patrol officer, about a 14 year patrol officer, a uh, good guy. I'm not, this is not, they're not gonna do any bad cop stories here or whatever, this is a, a good solid cop with a, a good heart who's also very, you know, bleeds blue. Um, and so he's very staunch in his uh, police beliefs, uh, is, is given a, a writer um, who is kind of the other end of the spectrum, she's a teacher, uh, who is a board member for uh, a, a police reform um, committee uh, in the community. Um, and they're very, very publicly critical of the police department. And so throw them together. And obviously they're going to have some sparks, not of the romantic kind um, of the intellectual kind. And they're going to argue about some things, but they're actually, actually, they start to listen to each other a little bit. And, and, and each of them, uh, because this book is all about balance between these two characters. So each of them is able to express their opinions about different elements of, of policing, but also learn something from the other as this book progresses. And it's not linear, there's some setbacks and so forth that occur and, and it gets a little heated a couple of times um and you know it's fiction so i threw as many obstacles in as i possibly could um and and ultimately i i would started out not knowing where to set it i just kind of set it in any town usa and all of the things that they're arguing about were national issues coming in uh to the to the equation and i realized pretty quickly that it needed to be localized and there needed to be local issues as well for it to be truly honest uh and so since you know, Spokane is where I did my policing and where, where I've written a lot of my work uh, as being set. Um, I said, well, I'll, I'll set it in Spokane, uh, which brings up another issue for me, though, because I've got several different multiverse versions of the city. Right. I mean, I've got River City is just a thinly veiled Spokane, uh, but I couldn't set it in River City because that is at about 2003 now with the next mm. book that will come out. So it was either put it back in time or do a flash forward with spoilers and and neither one was attractive. Um, The Spokane series is set in Spokane and and so are some other works are also set in that universe, but that is kind of the opposite problem. It focuses more on the criminal element and by setting it in that series, I'd almost be making a subtle or maybe not so subtle statement about policing in general. And I, I certainly didn't want to do that. Um so I kicked it around for a little bit and and ultimately it was kind of right there in front of me. I'd written this four book series with with Colin uh the Charlie 316 series. It's set in a version of Spokane in a universe, a multiverse version. Um and I realized well, you know, at the conclusion of that series, we've got several issues that have occurred that would be controversial that people would be uh, supportive of or angry about or, or whatever. And, and it was contemporary. So I, there wasn't a time issue with it. Um, and I knew these characters uh, and, and had written them recently. And so I reached out to Colin and I said, hey, you know, this is a little different than we've been doing. You know, We've been doing a very 50-50 work on a book together, uh, equal sort of uh, effort sort of thing. Um, but I'd like to set the right along in the Charlie Three Sixteen universe. And we talked, and he was more than supportive. And the more we talked about it, I said, you know, for marketing purposes, I think all the chart 316 books should be by both of us.
0: Um,
1: so let's, you know, you want to come in on this one. And because um, we had we'd written five books together and, and yeah. pretty much had a good process. And it's some of the best work I've done because it pushes, you know, another writer pushes you and, and so forth. Um, this one we're doing a little bit different because I'm going to write the first draft and then, We'll start the collaborative process so it's a little different um, but boy as soon as I knew where it was set that freed up so many things I mean yeah. you know, from street names and neighborhoods to references to characters and events that were controversial and uh, and, and it allows us to kind of show what, what has happened to a few other characters you know after the last book and the in the four book arc uh, and so that's where I'm at now. I mean, I'm I'm still working on it, but it it's really opened things up and and made it a, a much uh, a specificity has helped. I guess is yeah. what I'll say. Because my goal at the end of this is, regardless, I mean, I guess my goal at the end of it is is greater understanding. But I I suspect my goal will be to make two different groups angry for different reasons. Because I think if you're pro police. Like staunchly pro police, you'll read this book and you'll be like, oh, wow, thank you for making that point. I don't think the public knows that. Yeah. I don't think they understand that. I don't think they realize that's what we deal with or that's what we go through or that's why we do that or or, you know, all of these things that mm-hmm. every cop knows about. Um, but they're going to be mad because, you know, the, the civilian writer, um, she makes a lot of points where as a police officer, she go, oh, wow, that is kind of a jerk thing to do. Why do I do that? Mm-hmm. And or, yeah, I do it because of this. Well, how hard is it for you to overcome that? It's really not that hard. Just put a little effort in and, and that's not an issue anymore. And then you, you won't do it, even though there was a good reason for. It. And, you know, those kinds of things might make the police officer a bit uncomfortable. Conversely, people who maybe are critical of the police and read it uh, are, are, are going to be, I would think, glad to hear the different criticisms of policing as how as how individuals do it Mm -hmm. of it as an institution and so forth that the writer makes because she's smart she's a smart woman she didn't just arrive at these ideas you know because she took a class somewhere she you know she has a lot of reasons for believing what she believes and she's right about some of the things or many of them just like the officers right about many things so I'm sure they'll love to hear those you know knocks on you know and, and having certain things knocked down that maybe police officers trot out a little too often. But at the same time, you know, they're probably not gonna, it's gonna read like a little bit of an apologist love letter to law enforcement where they see the police officer making good points. And this is because this is, at least as I see it, this is the reality. It's not black or white. It's not one side or the other. It's a very black and white. uh, And I guess black and white's a bad way to put it because often race is an issue. Frequently, but it's 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 not a a a monolithic sort of thing. It's very gray, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm 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 trying to 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 do. But it's challenging because there's a lot of ideas in there. There's a lot of dialogue, but you know there needs to be some action too, Mm -hmm. and the action needs to make sense. And so it's been one of the hardest books I've ever tried to write. I'll be honest with you. It's been easily the most difficult. the emotional aspects of mm. it for obvious reasons uh, but also at a creative level on a on a cracked level trying to find that balance has been has been tough and so i've, I've struggled at a couple different points but uh, but i'm feeling pretty good about it now uh of course you know three people may read it uh, at the end of the day you know for all i know and all three of them will probably hate the ending that i've got in mind so
0: <laughs> yeah well you know i i think from a and that, that part of the writing experience um, in dealing with things that are are really close emotionally um, those are some of the hardest and most satisfying things that i've ever put on paper mm-hmm. and it's um i i personally kind of got got into writing fiction largely as a cathartic exercise to um, deal with some of the things that that was going on in, in, in my world and my perspective at that time. And, you know, I, I think that it's been incredibly, uh, incredibly helpful to get a lot of that stuff out, but also in trying to be fair to the reader and fair to everyone else involved is a really tough balance. And that's, those are, those are long days.
1: Yeah, they can be draining. Um, You're right though. It is, it is also very satisfying. And, and it's, it's been cathartic. It might be one of the most cathartic books I've ever written because uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to see like when, when a bad cop does a bad thing, that's hard for me to see.
0: Yeah.
1: But then as it is for any person and it should be, and the outrage that follows is righteous and I'd be concerned for the fate of our country if it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also hard because uh, then the fallout that lands on undeserving cops as a result of that and knowing what that feels like um, for those officers, that's also hard. And then the ripple effect of that, the the continuing strife and the gulf broadening and the lack of understanding uh, from the public is hard. But then I see cops do dumb things. Not. The, the criminal degree, but just you know, say or do something that yeah. doesn't help matters. And I just want to go, you know, come on, guys, you know, we can do better than that. But you know, at the same time, I know where that frustration comes from, and uh, yeah. you know, and, and so it it it's very uh, it, it's tough. You feel the tugs from both directions, and you just wish that you could get people to take a second, take a breath, and then even maybe possibly just listen a little bit because, yeah. you know, I mean, you've been on the job for a while um, uh, uh, and you've done a lot of different things, but harken back just to your patrol days, just mm-hmm. to your earlier days in your career. Most of the time when you go to a dispute on patrol, especially if blows haven't been thrown yet, right? There's still time right. for talking.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you can just yeah. get
1: people to listen, including you as the responding officer, things get resolved with a much higher frequency mm-hmm. and usually a much more satisfying conclusion instead of, you know, slap dashery. And now you're back again and two hours later, Yeah, uh, it all comes down to actively be, being willing to listen and, and challenge your own preconceptions as you walk in. Um, and we don't do that often enough as people in this world. And that, that's where my frustration has kind of come from. So yeah, cathartic, but difficult is a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you can get a young patrol cop to show up to those scenes um, humble and uh, attentive, um, <laughs> you've, <laughs> you've done your job. Which is yeah. tough
1: because about that three-year mark, you know, we all knew everything. I mean, it's basically like the teenager stage yeah. of law enforcement, right? You know everything. Your sergeant's an idiot. You know, I mean, you know. And policies you handle, are dumb. Yeah, policies are dumb and you can handle any call they throw at you
0: because mm-hmm.
1: yep. you've been a cop for three years now. Yeah, And, you know, I look yeah. back on my yeah. three-year self and cringe sometimes at some of the ways I handled calls and things I could have done much, much better. And just by listening, like you said, and maybe not thinking I knew everything, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Where, where can readers follow you and uh, stay in touch, maybe read a blog, check up on uh, on your works in progress and see uh, where they can find you? Uh,
1: well, the, you know, the 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 hub, I guess, would be my website, which is just frankzafiro.com. Uh, Zafiro is Z A F I R O, frankzafiro.com. Uh, everything kind of connects from there, but I'm on Twitter, uh, and uh, although some days I regret it, yes. um, and, and Facebook uh, and, and Instagram. So there's connections there. If you just put in Frank Zafiro, I'll come up. Um, and uh, I do have a blog, uh, All the Madness in My Soul is the name of the blog. Um, and I blog in frequently there. And I'm also a, a panelist on the uh, panel blog called Criminal Minds, which has uh, uh, 10 different uh, uh, crime fiction authors of very, very different uh, stripes for sure. Uh, some more on the cozy end, some on the humor end, other procedurals, some noir, uh, uh, some really great writers there. And, and I blog there my turns like every two weeks. So uh, it's kind of a cool one to, to follow.
0: I do like to end the show with a bit of a hypothetical, if you're willing to play along, Frank. Sure. So God forbid it should come to pass, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you've been murdered, I wonder what two fictional investigators whom you don't write, you would assign your own homicide. Oh,
1: that's a really good one. You know, I I told you before I get asked a lot of questions and there's ones that people never ask. Uh, this is a, this is a good one to pose. I've never presented (laughs) with this before. Um, The first one that comes to mind, I think is Harry Bosch, which is probably a pretty frequent answer if you ask this question a lot, but the thing I like about Bosch uh, one of the things I like about Bosch is um, he, he has two things really that really stand out. One is he has tenacity Mm -hmm. and Boy, for an investigator of any kind, whether it's a police investigator or a private investigator, um, you know, tenacity is, I think, one of the top two or three traits that I would, you know, if I was creating a character uh, preference, that would be, you know, if I was rolling up a Dungeons and Dragons character, but for investigators, tenacity would be a, an attribute I, I'd try to max out. Yes. Um, and, and the other thing is, is humanity. Um, one of the things he's famous for saying is, you know, everybody counts or nobody counts. And, and that kind of ties into his tenacity as well. I mean, having skills as an investigator would be super important, but I wouldn't want someone to quit on me. Like if, if, if I wasn't an open and shut murder, um, you know, I, I'd want somebody who would continue to, to look at things and not give up. And, and I think that Bosch is a good character for that. Uh, the other one is uh, maybe a little bit, uh out there um but for some of the same reasons i think i I wouldn't mind if um as a private investigator if matt scudder was on the case Mm -hmm. and and he's written by lawrence block uh over 20 years or so and character ages as he writes the series which i I always liked that Mm -hmm. um but the thing about scudder is he has a very he does the typical things an investigator does he goes and talks to a goes and investigates the, you know, B, you know, looks at site C, but the way he puts things together is, is very atypical. And, and sometimes it's almost like he's a, more of a creative thinker than a lot of investigators. So if you had Bosch working on your case and, and and covering all the police angles of it and being very tenacious and not letting go. And then you had someone like, like, like Scudder who, who might, Solved the case because of the pottery shard he finds behind a you know, couch or something, or because he talked to somebody on the train and they said a word that, you know, I mean, just the way his mind works, you, you, you could probably solve a murder that might go unsolved. And you know, somebody's still working it because you got Bosch on the case, right? He's never That's right. That. Yeah. So I think that uh, Detective Harry Bosch, written by Michael Connolly, and uh, unofficial investigator Matt Scudder, written by Lawrence Block. I think I'd be in good hands.
0: Perfect. I think your homicide shall be solved quickly, sir. <laughs> or eventually, at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show, Frank. Thank you so much for making time and, and stopping in to share your expertise and your stories.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a great interview.
0: You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been Frank Safiro. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.